Hi, good morning. Welcome to this new episode of the Propeller Podcast. We are starting season two and uh, with a special episode. We have a special guest, uh, Paul Bishop, uh, founder and owner of Bishop Design International Studio uh, based in Dubai and Miami. Interior design, architecture and creativity studio. Yes. Founded in 2004. It was, yeah. It's a long Absolutely. story. A long, a long story, <laughs> a long journey, actually. Uh, Paul, thanks a lot for being with us, Pleasure, first Marco. of all. And um, thank you very much for your time in a very intense schedule. I literally flew in just for this. Oh, wow, yeah. fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> that's, is it true? It is, yeah. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah. That's, that's Two days ago. I didn't know. <laughs> uh, so thanks a lot. It took a long time, of course, to, yeah. uh, to fix some time with you. Uh, but this is fantastic. Growth is always beautiful. Absolutely. Your yeah. studio is busy. Absolutely, and, uh, indeed. You have a lot of uh, things. A to great do. time to have. <laughs> um, Bishop Studio, as I said, is a long story mm-hmm. in, uh, in the region and global uh, presence. Um, you design some of the most iconic um, commercial, hospitality, retail, residential projects. Yeah. Um, of which I would like to mention one that is actually one of my favorite <laughs> restaurants that is Torno Subito. Oh, Thank you for saying that, right? It's an incredible space. Incredible um, man. I mean, what a genius. <laughs> Absolutely. So you, you match together yeah. uh, to design this uh, incredibly uh, unique unique space. Mm-hmm. But this is all about Bishop Design, correct? So can you give us a little bit of your background? Yeah, of and course. Yeah. Background. I mean, um, the studio. long story, eternal student, really, you know. <laughs> I don't think my parents liked me that much. I was uh, costing them too much money to go through universities. So, uh, yeah, I started, uh, graduated from school when I was, what, 16. Um, I graduated with two A-levels before taking A-levels. So okay. I had a little bit of an advantage. Uh, went to art school uh, to do foundation course because I didn't know what design field to, to follow. Um, so the foundation course was, was the best thing for me because you could experiment in all different genres of design feels different disciplines uh, we played around with fashion and textiles we played with graphics uh, we had theater design furniture and product design there wasn't an, an actual interior design in those days right it was something that wasn't really recognized to that degree i mean it was either architecture or furniture and product design or 3d as it was called uh, so i literally then went through all of these different sort of disciplines uh, decided to follow 3D design, which uh-huh. was furniture and product design. Uh-huh. Um, so went on to the uh, furniture and product design course, the BA, and history uh, then in the UK. Yeah, well. yeah, all in the UK. So I, I literally went to uh, you know Brighton School of Art, uh, uh-huh. did my foundation course, then did furniture and product design uh, in um, Brighton, then Kingston for interior design, and then uh, Manchester for my master's. So basically, I, was, I kept on coming back. Oh, have you graduated yet? Yes, but I want to go on for another degree. So <laughs> my, like I say, my parents must have hated me, uh, the eternal student. But yeah, I mean, it was it was something that I wanted to pursue. I, I wasn't sort of satisfied or happy with the level I was at. Yes, I, you know, I, I was lucky that I got you first. You were working already? You were no, no, no. This was purely just academic. Okay. Uh, I was lucky that I got first for my bachelor's degree and a distinction for my master's. So but I always wanted to progress more. I always thought there was something more to learn. And, uh, you know, the, the structure of the courses, both you know, from Brighton, Kingston and to Manchester, it gave me that flexibility to actually question these boundaries and you know, push it a little bit further, which we do now continually. Uh, because I wasn't ever satisfied with, with the syllabus um, of the structure of the course. And I think that the flexibility of those, especially uh, Manchester, where I did my master's, we actually wrote 
our own vocation and course of study. So it wasn't okay. prescribed to us. Uh, we could then write what we wanted to pursue and what we wanted to sort of question and follow. And was I, it, I was yeah. a practical uh, course. I mean, you already ends on in. Yeah, I mean, like I say, it, it was the master's degree. Uh -huh. uh, so they let us sort of, like I say, write our own course of study. Okay. Uh -huh. um, and I was playing around with film at the time. Okay. So I love to okay. mix different genres into, wow. you know, question the sort of theoretics of space, if you want uh -huh. to call it uh -huh. that. You know, how do you define room? How do you define an interior space? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, so my whole dissertation and everything that sort of pertained to that was all questioning these sort of different realms of where we then define what an interior dynamic to be. Uh -huh. uh, so I was playing around with film, um, you know, because I, I love film and the medium of film and how yeah. spaces in film, you know, create these amazing interiors, but they're very uh -huh. ephemeral that, you know, they, they change. Uh -huh. They're there for that split moment in time. Uh -huh. And they're captured on time, but real time they might not even exist. So you have these sort of movie. continuums working yeah. all the time, you know, real space and time, uh -huh. actual space and time, and, and sort of uh -huh. filmatic space and time. So it was very theoretical. Are you still a movie fan? I mean, you're yeah, sport. absolutely. I get a lot of inspiration from movies. Uh -huh. Some of the, you know, especially Blade Runner at a very early age. You know, I remember queuing up, sorry to diversify here, but you know, queuing up in the rain in a cinema in Bognor Regis of all places. <laughs> Uh, called the flea pit, and I was like the last one to get in. I remember it was like one of the first experiences that I went to the cinema on my own. I must have, you know, must have been around nine or eight yeah. or nine. And I got in, and I, I saw Blade Runner, and it was, it was just game changer. Wow. I just, you know? I just watched uh, Dune. The, right, the it's, of, uh, you know, it's just you know, incredible. Yeah, you know yeah, what they were actually suggesting at that time, and we're talking, you know, the eighties here. Uh, you know video TVs and that's what we carry around with us now as a mobile device. So you're watching these things and you're like, wow, you know, this is, this is incredible. Um, so, and Ridley Scott, what a genius, you know, he went to the Royal College of Art as well. So playing around with film and then you know, just questioning the, sort of the parameters of, of what an interior space would be uh, and learning from different dynamics and it's such a joy to, to have that freedom. And obviously the course allowed us to do that. So, you know, it was a great course to go on. Um, and I was playing around with bands, you know, Manchester bands at the time. So I was kicking around with all these sort of, you know, massive pop stars now, okay. but they, they okay. weren't at the time. We were all becoming who we were at the time. We were all growing at the same space. M mention a couple of names. Yeah, but... like, you know, uh, <laughs> Stone Roses. Oh, wow, uh, fantastic, really. You know. <laughs> Manchester. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know we were we were playing around with with, with these sort of things, and uh, just making videos for bands, yeah, you know, up and coming bands. Okay. Yeah, like you know the Verve and everything. They the used Verve? to oh, wow. they used okay. to knock around with us uh, okay. Okay. down in um, Happy Mondays. You know, yeah. they used so you to were knock part around of a collective us. of artists. Absolutely, it was an incredible thing. Manchester okay. was an incredible thing, and I've, I've been blessed, you know, in touch with that even through my bachelor's degree, I'm associated with some incredible talents. Uh -huh. And it was just becoming friends with them. I, you know, one of my best friends, Ben, um, is a fine artist. And I shared a house with him in Kingston when I was doing my, okay. my bachelor's. His father was Clive Langer, who okay. is London Records. So yeah. he kicked around with Madness, Flowered Up, uh -huh. uh, you know, Hot House Flowers and these type of, of people. Uh, the Strong Room Recording Studio where Jamiroquai were recording. Wow. So all these people. It was all happening, there was all this energy. Uh -huh. uh, and, you know, Ben's godfather was Jamie Reed. Uh -huh. Jamie Reed was probably the, one of the most controversial graphic designers ever to walk the planet, uh -huh. especially in England. 
He put the safety pin through the Queen's nose for the Sex Pistols <laughs> album, mate. So you're meeting these, these these people who are just incredible. I remember going to parties with Ben Kelly, who was actually uh, one of my teachers at Kingston. And now we're both at Kingston together on the alumni, is it, is it, working yeah. along each side each other. Uh, you know, and you know, mixing with the music crowd, you know, Kevin Rowland from Dexys, Morrissey from The Smiths, what, oh, what a genius, wow. you know. So you, you, you got all this exposure. And when we were all in Manchester, it was, it was a different phenomenon because the people at Kingston and that sort of circle, they'd already been established. They had their time, they had their, their circle of friends and they were yeah. doing amazing things. And when we were at Manchester, it was about our time. You know, we were young, wild people. Uh, but with, yeah, with imaginations and there was no boundaries. So you had, let's say, my friend Graham and I, who, who were from like the art school, the university. Graham is now uh, head of the Royal College of Art. Okay. Interior design course. So again, he went that way into academia. I went into you know, what, the what real world and the industry. Yeah, but we both reached where we wanted to uh -huh, be, uh -huh. uh, which is phenomenal. And then, like you say, we were knocking around with you know, a friend of mine, Scott, who was bass guitarist for the Inspiral Carpets. Oh, wow. <laughs> Uh, Paris Angels, and he used to, his roadie was Noel Gallagher from Oasis oh. before they got famous. So it was just a it's you know a wild time, <laughs> and we always play football together down well, down in Chorlton Park, and you know go drinking. But, but it was it was a great great time and you know, this, environment. This brought you know what was labeled with swing in London, or swing in Britain, or swing in the mm -hmm. UK, um, and so a resurgence of the UK in all hearts. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, and I think Britpop sort of championed that, that didn't it? I mean, it was like, say, you had the swinging 60s, you had that sort of genre through to punk in the late 70s, early 80s. And I think they were amazing times, especially uh -huh. punk changed the face of, of the uh -huh. world as we know it uh -huh. through fashion design. You know, God, God rest her soul, Vivian Westwood passed recently, but you know, what a pioneer. Are you a punk designer? I am. I am. I, I have a punk soul. Um, also a mod as well. So I like the style element, but I like the, you know, the disruption that punk brought and, and what it did for all genres. You know, you had had a major influence in film. You know, Kubrick and you know, the likes. Clockwork Orange, you know, it had, had amazing sort of, uh, you know, resonance. Yeah. Uh, product and furniture designer, Tori Sotsas with the Memphis group. These guys revolutionized. Mm. Ron Arad. Uh, and then you had fashion with, uh, you know, with Westwood, music with the Pistols, McLaren, Clash, you know, all these things started a, a popular culture. But it, it crossed between all different genres. It wasn't just music based, it affected art, architecture, design. You had deconstructivism came a little bit after that, uh, where Zaha became mm -hmm. the forerunner of that mm -hmm. sort of style. So I do believe that, you know, that we shouldn't just sort of stereotype and, and wear blinkers and just concentrate on our disciplines. I think we should draw inspiration yeah. from yeah. all yeah. Uh, because it's all there as, as, as part of you know, the canvas of what we're creating and the knowledge that we need. So after so, the masters in yeah. Manchester, kind of, I sort of kicked around in Manchester <laughs> for about a year afterwards. Uh, yeah, probably about six months, not, not really a okay. year. Again, I was I was making videos for bands up uh -huh. there, tour managing for them as well. Okay, so I was that's like a, kicking that's around, tour managing, going around the universities <laughs> with this band playing and everything. Super cool. Uh, but it was just yeah, just like kicking back, letting it uh -huh. go. And then I, I got a phone call. Um, in, yeah, probably late December, um, from uh, a gentleman who was who was in Manchester at the time, 
came over uh, for Christmas and um, had been passed my CV by an agency. And I'm like, he's like, well, did you have time to meet? And I was like, taken aback. I'm like, who gave you my CV? Do I even have a CV? You know, what were you looking for? Uh, uh, I, I personally wasn't, but my mother was. was uh, so <laughs> have you ever discovered? What she you... uh, she actually put my CV into an agency, and this oh this guy connected with me. He already had a practice in Dubai, and this was like '95. Um, so I met him uh, down in Manchester. Rainy day, as it always is in Manchester, right? And uh, yeah, we we got talking. It was like you know, uh, I got a distinction for my masters. And he was like, you know, they, they'd sort of seen my CV and they, they wanted to headhunt me that way. But, you know, I, I hadn't lived outside of, of the UK, Europe, yes, but not further afield from that. Okay, I was travelled and I've been backpacked through India and the US and, and other sort of parts okay. of Asia. So his first question to me was, um, you know, because uh, I, I backpacked through India for like six months. Yeah. He was like, so you, you backpacked through India? And I was like, yeah, obviously a student. And I did that because I won um, an international student bursary competition. Okay. The RSA, so I'm actually a fellow of the RSA, the Royal Society of Arts. And they gave me a grant, like a scholarship. And you could use it. You could use it for travel and you had to write a report on that. So I traveled through the US and I traveled through India. And I think that's what got me the job is that I could actually put up with a lot of shit. (laughs) (laughs) And hardship because, you know, being a student, I wasn't... Uh, you know, afforded any creature comforts, you know, uh, it was, you know, it was still a sort of continuation of this sort of student lifestyle. And um, yeah, what, so it what was did like, you know about Dubai at that point? Not much. Not Dubai, much. not much. I mean, obviously the Middle East, we knew about Kuwait, we knew about Saudi Arabia. Uh, Dubai, not many people knew of. Uh-huh. We knew it was in the Middle East. Um, but as a country, no one knew, knew what it was about. And when I did come, it was, it was, yeah, it was a game changer. You said immediately, yeah. yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you know, what else am I going to do? Stay in Manchester in the rain? Or, <laughs> or, or, or try and get a career, right? You know, obviously I wasn't a musician. But, you know, I was just kicking around doing these things. So it was like a great opportunity. And, you know, big thanks to my mother for actually submitting <laughs> it to an agency. Uh, it took me by surprise. And, yeah, they, they flew me out on um, February the 14th, Valentine's Day. In 1996, so yeah, the romance with Dubai began from there, and uh, it was it was a, an interesting time, definitely a very interesting time. Um, You're speaking about another age, yeah, total, also totally Dubai different. Age, yeah. there, there wasn't much F and B around. There wasn't yeah. many, too many places where you could go out and socialize. One or two mainstreams. I mean, you had the lodge, you had blues. These places don't. I think the lodge still does, uh, but you would—it would be a smaller sort of society, a group of people, very different age ranges, um, you know, predominantly expat. And uh, yeah, I, it wasn't creature comforts. I ended up living in a house with like ten laborers from the factory of the design company I was, was going to work for. You know, five guys to a bedroom. Um, it was an experience. It was, it was definitely an experience, experience. But you don't give up. You know, I was—I I was like, you know, I'd got that ticket. I got on the plane. I arrived in Dubai. Let's make something of it. You know? Yes. Yeah, um, okay. And that's that's where the journey began. So you started the FMB projects uh, in mind or was it? Not at all. Design you school? know, I was there as a designer. So as graduating designer. From, from my master's, like I said, um, you don't really focus too much on any particular you, you to, you discipline. Yeah. Uh, you know, you don't get given like, oh, design a restaurant or design that. You know, it's a, it's a bit more sort of open-ended uh, from design because it is all about the theory and creating hypothetical spaces. I don't think I'd ever 
come across a sample library before or selected a piece of furniture because it was bigger than that. And I think that helped in some ways, but it also hindered in others because, you know, when you're designing for the industry, you have to understand materiality. You have to understand furniture. You have to understand space. And I think that's how you have to learn very quickly. And you are thrown in at the deep end. And I definitely was thrown in at the deep end in Dubai in 96. I think my first project was a restaurant, uh, to be totally honest, and a TV network station, okay. Abu Dhabi. Okay. You know, and it was like, great. And I remember, <laughs> yeah, I had to travel to Paris and meet with you know, um, TV Sank and, and these guys. And, uh, you know, it was, it was just great, you know, young, traveling around, designing, being happy in what I do. Yeah, you know, it was all you know, as passion. And, you know, the, the projects weren't as vast and varied as they are now. I think we're spoiled for choice now in the region. I mean, we've seen this immense global change. And you could see that and you could sense that when I was in Dubai over the years where the youth started to come into positions of great authority and power and decision making. And you could see that taste was changing. When I first came in 96, there was a particular style and I've always been told I was 10 years ahead of that. And I'm like, well, you guys are five years behind the rest of the world. Uh, but not now. I think we're actually a lot further than, than some places. Um, because of the immense growth and, and what's happened in the region, I think putting Dubai on the map, they've done an incredible job with the advertising, the marketing, the PR, Emirates sponsoring all the sport, you know, different clubs, different sport uh, industries. And it does get it out to the public. Yeah. Everyone knows where Dubai is and where the Emirates are. And that wasn't the case back in those days. I, I remember I couldn't even change up dirhams in the UK because they were like, you know, what's this currency? And I'm like, well, it's a dirham. It you know? um, well, we don't accept it. And then when they did, they gave you an absolutely ridiculous exchange rate, right? So you're like, really? Yeah. So, you know, it was, it was just a joy. And um, just, just seeing change and seeing the whole city change and you could feel it, you could sense that energy even through the radio stations. When I first came, you had Dubai FM. That was the only radio station you had. And then you started getting other radio You stations. mentioned that you've been part of I was part of Dubai AI at, at one time. No, this was back in 2000s, uh, okay. you know. Um, probably around 2008, 9. I actually did a show on, on, on <laughs> Saturday mornings. You oh, know. Wow, fantastic. Uh, and on those days, Saturday was, you know, uh, day, your day off, yeah. right? So you'll go out, have a good time on a Friday night, wake up with a hangover, you know, <laughs> not feeling 100% at seven o'clock in the morning and doing a, a radio show was about it, interior it design. Interior design? Yeah. Oh, wow. So I was like the co-anchor on that show. And it was, it was, why it's not there anymore? I have no idea, because I'm not there anymore, right? You know, ah, well, of course, <laughs> you're much easier than then, I'm sure. No, it's just a bit of fun. And uh, it was great to see be, that there be. was an actual interest in the uh -huh. industry and uh -huh. design. Uh, where it hadn't been that prominent before. Uh -huh. All of a sudden, design became very positive and, and, and popular, uh, and everyone wanted to be around design. And you could see the spaces evolving, the types of projects, the clients who would then approach. And you could see this sort of, this whole thing start to morph from being a very sort of smaller industry into what we are now, where we have everything is, is designed, orientated through from the F&B that we have, the commercial spaces that we work in, uh, to the residences that we reside in. You know, everything has a very particular design focus. And you can see that, you know, the, the industry's grown here. There's, there's multiple companies out there doing some amazing things. 
Mm. You know, I think it's as a region, we're really pioneering design. It's at the forefront of everything we do. Uh, And we're lucky because I say being in Miami, it is a different mindset. Uh, last year, um, so yeah, we set up the company before COVID. Why Miami in particular? Um, we had projects in Bahamas. Okay. Uh, so I was traveling through that route on some occasions. Hospitality, I guess. Uh, we had a bit of residential, okay. Okay. commercial, okay. residential, hospitality, um, hotel. We were dealing with a single source client, but multiple projects, even a development of an island as well, which is still going. So we still have that relationship with the client. Uh, great, great client. Great individual, great, great mind. And uh, it was like, it had an energy, you know? It had an energy and it was something that connected with me on a different level, um, subliminal level. And I was like, I want to be in this place and I want to do great things. And I think I've, I've spoken to people, you know, touch wood, we've achieved great things from being in Dubai and creating a company from Dubai. You know, we are homegrown. Company. Dubai, that is, that is, and I pride myself on that. You know, take a lot of pride in, in that. What, yes, what, what we've done. Um, you know, we didn't have any investment. It was all self-investment. Uh, for myself, project to project, build the company, build the team, and you know, create that that sort of reputation. Know? We're we're forty plus now, okay. um, which is great. You know, uh, but to to have that challenge and see what what we've done and let's say to, to go into Miami now I want I want to expand and do some other amazing things and to have more challenges I, you know I, I crave for challenge uh, and to better my my own ability as a designer yeah. and my own sort of style and, and develop that and you know to, to go back to where we were to saying you know, about a home grown brand it's, it's phenomenal and you, know, you, you can see that what we've learned and achieved yeah. here, I, I want to question, yeah. you know, my design in different places. And I think, as I, as I reiterate, reiterate back, I was talking to someone, I'm like, well, what would we have been if we had actually started somewhere else? Somewhere in else. the UK or the US or Europe? You know, would we be a household global name now? Um, rather than being in Dubai, where we are becoming a name uh, on all fronts internationally. We're picking up awards internationally and regionally. And I, and I thought, well, it's never too late. You know, we can still get that recognition. We can still take the company into those different sort of uh, dynamics. And, and that's something that is basically the generator that, uh, for that, me to for, open in Miami uh-huh. is, is that challenge. You know? uh-huh. You've got to stay current. You've got to stay young <laughs> and you, you, you've got to stay on top of your game because... Yeah. In design, if you don't, you will fall wayside. You know, if you become complacent, it's the worst thing that can ever yeah. happen. Um, you've always got to keep pushing the yeah. boundaries further and further and further, and you don't get any younger. You know, but, <laughs> I've, but always got, I've, all got, I've always got to feel young in my soul. And uh, there's, like I say, there's the industry's changed in Dubai. There's a lot of companies coming into the market, into the region, who are doing some great works. So you've always got to be on your toes. You yeah. know, you've always got to be ahead of the game. And, yeah. and that's something that, that we pride ourselves on in Bishop Design is we always want to be at the forefront of whatever's going on. And I think having Miami's sort of shaping me in a different way as well, because it is a different way of, of thinking, different way of working, different way of approach, taste styles, uh, change. They change very quickly. Um, but when you're talking to them, everyone's like, oh, Miami, 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 or the US. 
when you come back to Dubai, you, you actually realize what you've got here and how great a place it is. It's clean, it's safe, there's a great society, there's a great community, especially through the industry and the professionals that we have in the industry. Um, you know, you, you, it's a completely different dynamic. But I like the juxtaposition yeah. of the both. Yeah. I like to be challenged. I like that little bit of uncertainty as well. You know, it's, it's always about having that challenge and, and, uh -huh. and having, doing something exciting. Doing something exciting, it, it, it keeps you, your mind young. Young and continuing. It's yeah. very interesting. Um, what I always, I used to live in London, in the UK, and what I always mean, in, um, interest about the UK or London in particular, is the idea is that if you have an old building, with all the value that the yeah. building can bring, you can knock it, knock it down and, and build something new. Mm -hmm. And Dubai is the same. You know, um, and so you have this double uh, value as a designer yep. to create iconic design that can remain through time, but also this you have the, the responsibility challenge. of constantly <laughs> generate something new yep. and create something new. And uh, I think that at a certain point in time, like it happened in many, many mm -hmm. aspects, Dubai has decided we want to become iconic, also mm -hmm. design, mm -hmm. want this iconic designs. One of my favorite restaurants is Torno Subito. I mentioned at the yeah. start, you know, there is a massimo. And this, if you enter in this restaurant, I invite all the audience to do it. Not only to taste, of course, the great food of Nottura, but to be merged in a Riviera, an Italian Riviera. Exactly that. You understand how, what this study that has been. That's behind. the power of design, right, Marco? I mean, that's how we can transport people into anywhere. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, through design, through styling, through that creation of the movie. Yeah. I, I, I would say Torno Subito is very cinematic, yeah. um, you know, in it and its creation. You know, yeah. It is connecting on subliminal yeah. levels yeah. as well as sort of physical levels. Yeah. And that was the brief that Massimo gave me. Yeah. I mean, Massimo, I love him to death, he's, he's, a, he's a genius, <laughs> um, absolute genius. And he came to me and was like, Paul, I want to be back on holiday with my family was in the 60s, 70s, in Rimini. And I'm like, is that my brief? That's the best <laughs> brief I could ever have. Uh, How did he, you approach this work? Well, um, yeah, it was you and your team. Of very course. subjectively, you know, he suggested that, you know, what his likes, dislikes were. Um, and you could tap into Massimo very quickly. He's uh -huh. such an open character. Uh -huh. I'd say such a, an intelligent mind. And, uh, you know, same, same kind of inspirations that I gather. You know, film played a very big, okay. big part of okay. his his sort of, uh, you know, relationship with, with the kitchen, with cooking. Fellini was, was clear his clear. idol. Uh, and then you had Sotsas from Memphis. So you, you had all these things that I was actually grew up with personally myself. Okay, a few years down the line from Massimo. But these were inspirations to me. And this is what goes back to this sort of punk genre. Uh, <laughs> because all these things happen from them. Because it's the only thing that's really happened in time across all genres. Um, and, you know, I tapped into that and it, it was such a joy and we just wanted to create this environment that would really sort of set off his cuisine, his mentality. And, you know, he does great things for charities. Uh -huh. um, you know, he's not just in the kitchen. He's yeah. actually yeah. a pioneer for a lot more. Um, and we went over to, you know, to, to Modena. We, we presented this, this concept. To him in in a room not too dissimilar to yourself, uh, and he was ah oh, grab the chef in, grab this and grab his wife Laura in, and 
you know, we were literally like myself, and Mehmet. I, I was sort of presenting. Mehmet was virtually sitting on Massimo's lap. So, so you know, you're, you're my own managing director, yeah, okay. and, and great friend. But he was sitting on my lap. <laughs> uh, he was sitting on the Massimo's lap, and it was just hysterical. You know, it was something out of a movie itself. But this is where Torno was born. Uh, you know, and he loved what we did so much. He actually then created his whole website around our initial presentation. Uh -huh. Um, during the course of the process, things change uh, because it, we, we, have, a, we have a client and we have Massimo, who is our client. So obviously our client also wants certain things to happen. Massimo wants certain things to happen. Uh, and at the end of the day, yeah, we ended up designing for Massimo, uh, which was great that the client allowed us to do that. They stepped aside and said, look, Massimo's a great brain. You're designing his space. We're stepping aside from this. You, you please the man, you know. Yeah. And the beauty of this whole sort of, it's very cyclic because the chef, you know, sous chef Bernardo, Bernardo um, he's now in Miami. In Miami. So we, we hooked up the other week. So, you know, the gang's back together over oh, there. Yeah. So, uh, say hi. yeah, yeah, it was a great, we had a, we had a great, great couple of evenings over oh, there, but uh, he's going to be there full time from, from now, from the new year. So uh, yeah, it's good to have old, old friends around as well. But this, you know, the design that you, that you created mm. for Tonosu will be the, blueprint for all the... yeah kind of i mean the, the main sort of ideology of it yeah. yeah um you know the ideation of of that brand was born design uh -huh. and obviously the yes, team at, at tornas vito so yes it won't be identical it uh -huh. won't be a paste and stick or cookie cutter it's got to revolve uh -huh. you can't really create that on a rooftop in miami you know it's, <laughs> it's still got to have a, a little bit of a sense of space and uh -huh. place and i think you know to go back to what you said about london and uh, you know, designing in, in other places. I think Miami and Dubai are very similar uh, because they are, there is a lot of new build. Mm. And that's what we inherit in Dubai is new build. New build so Whereas if you're designing in London, Italy, you've got this infrastructure that already exists and yeah. these things can enhance the interior. Yeah. And it's not what you put in, it's actually what you leave out yeah. sometimes. And I think yeah. that allows you to do that. There's this sort of overwriting yeah. text. Yeah. We call it palimpsest yeah. in the industry where it's a text that's overwritten. Uh -huh. So you might be sort of demolishing something and uncover a beautiful fresco or stone wall. That then would enhance your design. Uh, and I think that's difficulties of, of where we design for. I think designing in the Middle East is very difficult. Uh -huh. It's hugely difficult because you've got nothing that enhances your space that you inherit. We inherit a lot of rubbish, a lot of problems, you know, bare concrete walls columns that are in places where they shouldn't be um, and it doesn't really help us design something and when you do design does it become too thematic and this is what we've got to avoid that we don't want to design these sort of kitsch thematic like, spaces like thematic, like, right even though Torno is very thematic it still has its own soul yeah and yeah, identity absolutely. and it doesn't absolutely. appear thematic it's not kitsch in any way and I think that's the beauty and subtlety of the design yeah because it could have gone either way, right? Yeah. Um, with such an open brief. It's a risk for... Uh... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I think yeah. being around those sort of creatives and creatives in the industry, going back to Miami where, where Torno's going on a roof, it is, it's a, an old building, but it's been repurposed, reused. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So there are things that will come into the design that aren't inherent in the one in uh -huh. Dubai. Um, and like anything, you know, it's healthy to evolve. And I think having that evolution, that natural evolution, through design, it's not cookie cutter. People want something a little bit different. They want to see the, the evolution of the space and the design. Uh, that will allow that to happen naturally. And I, I think that's that's the beauty of the project. It will allow that to, to 
and what it what, it, what it will be. So now you have the chance to work with the top. Speaking about you know Massimo Bottura, yeah. so the top of. Uh, we've we've worked with multiple. Yeah, yeah, it's not incredible. Just, we just mentioned one, of course. He's my uh, favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everyone else. It's my favorite. <laughs> As well. Um, uh, so this means that you know they, they, every client brings you know this. Uh, I wouldn't call ego, but imagination yeah. and uh, and uh, ideas. Um, but at the same time, you need to respect uh, Bishop. Yeah, style that might be recognizable. Is it true or not? Or you try yeah, always I mean, to not. Great question, Marco. I mean, yes, we have a defi- definite style, I think, um, but it's not something that imposes itself on any sort of given design. I think you would, you would, or hopefully, people would recognize it's our signature on the door. Um, but we're designing for the client at the end okay. of the day, you know? and uh, you know, we create in these spaces. Like I said, we don't replicate anything. We don't paste and stick anything from our designs. That you've done. So our designs are unique for each individual outlet. Okay. Um, so you know you wouldn't see a, a design or a detail or an element that's significant in one yeah. to another if they're completely different. Um, so we're constantly challenging ourselves to create unique individual and current spaces uh, that answer the criteria of the brief for the client and create. You know this this identity uh, that gives life to the space. Um, so yes, you would probably say that there is a signature or bishop design there, but it's not the overriding factor or the denominator in the space. The denominator is creating something unique the, for the, the client. For, for the for the. Um, and you know we would never cookie cutter or, or replicate any any element of our design to another design uh-huh. of, of uh-huh. a different client. Um, and I think that that keeps us on, on top that, of it uh, and uh, you know at the edge of, of where we want to be uh-huh. and keep challenging it so it is about evolution you've got to evolve you've got to remain current you know you can't look back and say well we, we did this we did that no it's looking forward to the to the future projects that we have and where we are currently and there's some great things that we're, we're involved in and you know, hopefully things that will set different benchmarks and, and sort of different, achieve different sort of uh, you know status and greater things so yes Torno's is an amazing project yeah. the team were amazing i love it as a space i yeah. go in there still today and feel like we've only just created it, it has <laughs> a sense of say, timelessness to it fresh current yeah. fresh it's freshness yeah uh, it's on the, you know it's right on the, the, the precipice then, of where we want to be then there is the sentiment that you were having when you were going on holiday with your parents right. it's joy it's fun it's passion but that's that, what it is that is yeah. exactly what you've identified but that's Massimo <laughs> Massimo is, is all of these things so I think the space encompasses what Massimo's persona is you know I mean let's say we, we actually did a photo shoot in there when I had my my bun and ponytail and he had his hair and we're both going grey and you know we look like fucking twins uh, but it, it's brilliant he's just got such an energy about him and I I also hope that you know I possess that that energy and passion Myself through design, yeah. through he does, through cooking yeah. and food and um, the environments that, that he, he sort of creates within. So Propeller is about high performance. Yep. Here we are having a fantastic discussion about design. Mm-hmm. Uh, high performance seems a little bit more, um, let's say, um, aseptic, mm-hmm. no? because it means really design something for a functional yep. result that can be quantitative as well, you mm-hmm. need to achieve a specific result. Um, but 
this is what I told you, uh, Paul. I believe that the space where people work sometimes is overlooked. Mm-hmm. Um, you said that you design everything from the ground, you know. Correct. Every detail is designed. Yeah. With we are t- we those end users in mind. In, in mind. So we're speaking about c- uh, clients, of course, customers, of course. If a, if yeah. I mean, but also the people that work, we work in the space. Yeah. We are taking Torno Subito again as an example. Sure. If I think about the bar, mm-hmm. where the dishes are presented before yep. they are collected mm-hmm. by the porters, most of the time that specific moment is hidden to the final customer. Mm-hmm. You decided instead to keep it open. Yeah. And it made me think a lot when I visited the restaurant and uh, I, I saw also Massimo and mm-hmm. you know. Uh, Bernardo cooking, and I f- and I and I and I try to uh, put myself in the shoes of the pressure yeah. that this uh, put them. Yeah, don't pick your nose. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> that's not the right. The right um, and others, um, but definitely let's put you know all sure. the team under pressure, yeah. a positive pressure. They say okay, exactly. Yeah, yeah, we are in a theater. We are in the theater. We need to act for the customer exactly that. in a way that is perfect. Um, do you feel the same? Do you feel that your clients sometimes come and say, without understanding how people are going to fill the space? And so you need to fill this gap and say, yeah. look, that potentially your, your people will use this space mm-hmm. in a totally different way than what you're thinking about it. I'm speaking about employees, yeah. you know, workers. Yeah. Does it happen is a question. Yeah, I think as, as designers, we are those sort of master manipulators, aren't we? We're, <laughs> we're the master puppeteer, you know, we're pulling the strings. Um, you know, it's something as a designer that we have to understand from the onset of the project where we do manipulate how people move within that space, be it the end user, the customer or the clientele walking through those doors uh-huh. or working within these spaces or actually, like I say, the staff, the management, the people who, who interact with it on, on a very daily basis or a more frequent basis. So we do predetermine these sort of functions okay. to happen, okay. you know, where the flow comes from, where you pick up, where you drop off is. Uh, how that person would you know, interact with, with the threshold and interface then with the rest of the space. Okay. Talking about Torno, we had multiple different offerings within that space. And one of the things that we wanted to create was, why do we just want to have a static kitchen area? We want the theatrics, we want that interface with the clientele. We are suggesting you know, Massimo is there or Bernardo is there. They are the, the performer. Uh, but we had the bar, the Viven there. We had the... You know, the Dolce counter, all which open was dessert, all open, all independent. So these yeah. were like satellite elements yeah. within the space because we didn't want everything to come from one central kitchen. Um, flow operations, yes, there's things to deal with that. We need to load it up, we need to prepare, but the Dolce was making ice cream, gelato there in front of you. And we wanted to encourage people to actually interface with these different activities and activations. Mm-hmm. We wanted people to come in from the beach and sit at or stand at the gelato counter, the dolce counter, and have a coffee. Like it happens. Like it does in Europe, in Italy, or whatever else we are in the world. Instead of just seated at a table and having that fine dining experience. And I think this is something that we discussed with Massimo, and he was very much in line with, is he didn't want it to be stuffy. He didn't want it to be um, too refined in regards to dress code. No, he wanted someone to come in on flip-flops, off of the beach, take a drink at the bar, know have a bit of fritto misto you know (laughs) we wanted that street element Uh of fun and that interaction we didn't want static counters Uh so wherever we have seating pockets they can relate to a little bit of theatric as well 
that gives that interface with staff uh -huh. perfection, theatrics and, and that end product. So it's not something that just comes out of the kitchen, you're served on your table. Uh -huh. You actually see the whole you know, um, element of that being prepared, plated, served up, out. You know, it's that whole process that belongs with food. And I think that really sort of epitomizes how Massimo works in the kitchen. Osteria Francescana, very different, very closed kitchen, very, very refined, very classic, you know, 20 cover, you're served beautiful With the food. light on the table. Star Michelin. Just from... Exactly, yeah. the light animating the table. Um, it's one of his different experiences, and it always was from the onset. He wanted something that wasn't Osteria Francescana. Yeah. He wanted something that would have its own identity, its own connectivity with the yeah. end user, and its own sort of play on, on how the staff interacted uh -huh. with it. And it's just got its Michelin star, and it's incredible, <laughs> it's right? Uh, you know, you, you want it together, of course. Yeah, yeah, there. absolutely. You know, we were celebrating me and Bernardo uh, <laughs> a few weeks back in Miami. Excellent. Yeah, he got a bit, he got a bit rowdy. But, um, <laughs> you know, nakedness, drunkenness. You're here you now. Know, yeah, I'm here now. Yeah, they let me out. <laughs> you survive. Uh, does it happen that sometimes you have uh, uh, goals of uh, specific quantitative goals, let's say on? The time that the porter needs to arrive from the kitchen out of the table, or that, does it? Uh, does yeah, it I mean that that's you? something they would devise from an ops perspective. Uh -huh. I mean they would. You know, we don't want food sitting it's on the counter. Like, okay, but you're uh, not. You're not. Yeah, but when you're designing the, uh -huh. the, the layout, you would obviously go through a series of process and yeah. different sort of dynamics of how we want that flow to work. Uh -huh. um, you would then liaise and work with the kitchen consultant, but obviously the chef is the most important component uh -huh. of that at the very onset. So we would devise, yes, okay, I want my pickup from here, I want my drop-off from there. Uh, we don't want any cross-contamination between dirty and clean. Oh. I need to make sure that the food gets to the table very efficiently, very quickly, yeah. undisturbed. Yeah. This happens through the planning phase, the layouts, the dynamics of the oh. schematic. Uh, this must be the least yeah. uh, fun uh, job for a designer. <laughs> oh, no, I, I love working. <laughs> you know, it's... it's because when I do two dimensions, I think in three dimensions. So I'm already conceiving what that space what looks, like, feels, yeah. smells like, yeah. you know. Um, so when I'm, I'm sitting with a client, you know, okay, something here, this is going to activation here. This is potentially what, what this space, the volumetrics of that space is going to feel like, even though it's two dimensional. Um, you know, I think everything is created at that phase. Uh -huh. Phase one in, in our contract, obviously, is the concept. This is where we create the layout and the mood direction for uh -huh. that, the, the aesthetics of that space. And, Paul, uh, you as a designer, high performance, you know, mm. when the people, the guests come in, we're not talking about performance only in their practice, no. but them as an individual. Mm -hmm. Now you have an international practice, you know, with the studio, with multiple designers, mm -hmm. with an organization. Now. Yep. So your job has changed as well, or is yes. transforming. Yeah, like I say, it's a good, good pickup. Um, we've identified that as a company. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we do. And we have uh, created, we are continually creating that environment around us. Um, it's very dear to us. You know, we, we don't want to compromise on design, style, offering, you know, uh, aesthetics. But still, we've got to have that signature of design. And the delivery that, that people expect. You know, we've built up an organization, a company that has the client in mind from the onset of the project. And we are very passionate. And you're involved. And, and driven. And I'm involved 100%. Involved. Okay. I always have and I always will be. Will be. Um, <laughs> but in different ways. You know, obviously when I'm in Miami, I'm still a part of the Dubai team and, and vice versa. 
with the Dubai team, they're still integral to the Miami operation. Uh, you know, we can't create two separate entities. That they are yeah, intrinsically linked. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the beauty of it because I, I, I'm there every day, you know, twice a day. I guess the team probably get more of me when I'm not in Dubai <laughs> because they literally, you know, I'm, I'm with them in the morning and I'm with them in the afternoon. And that, like I say, working remote has allowed that to happen. Uh, even though we have the office in Miami. So how are you communicating with Martin? Very quickly. All through uh, Zooms, Teams, very quickly, meetings. So there's no... Not quickly. I'm I'm literally with the team hours uh, okay. in the day, hours okay. in the evening. Okay. I, I kind of work 24-7 because uh -huh. when I'm going to bed at one o'clock in the morning, they're coming into the office. Yes, when they're leaving the office, I'm getting up. So, you know... How many hours are you sleeping? Uh, not many, not many, not many <laughs> actually. And then you got to go out with clients, socialize, go to okay. restaurants. Okay. You know, it's you, the hard life, life. <laughs> it's life yeah. but it's fun. It's passionate, but yeah, and we. But there's a great synergy with the with the company and with the team. And the team, like I say, uh, the most important thing in the organization. We've got to have that understanding, uh, that trust in each other's abilities, uh -huh. and that inherent sort of connection. Are you are you communicate with your team images? This I'm very curious about. Yeah. How, how do you do it? Oh, I'm you old sketch. school, so yeah. I, I sketch. You so sketch. I would sit there and literally like take pictures of my layouts, and post them over to okay. the team, then we'll discuss and go over them. Okay. Same with imaging, design. Okay. You know, I'm still driving that, but let's say we, we've got the team in the office. Uh, also where we have, you know, a great design team. You know, there's some great minds there. There's some great talent that are developing. Uh, and it's a joy to see, you know, that I'm an in, part of their development because yeah. um, we are kind of like the Grey's Anatomy of the design world you know <laughs> it's a teaching practice as well hopefully you know the guys can learn from me and we we never stop learning from, from other people and, and our clients yeah. you know, everyone has a has an opinion a valid opinion a taste a style and uh, an inherent knowledge and I think yeah. knowledge as they say knowledge is power that's what and we, uh, we, that's that's what we pride ourselves on is, is having that, that in-depth type of of, of, of approach yeah. to design. So it's very curious. So you said that you communicate images, you know, with your team through sketches. You, mm -hmm. you communicate, communicate the concept. This, I guess, happens after the meeting. Yeah, yeah. How instead you nurture your mind? Because you must have been... You, so a normal person see a lot of images every day, but it's actually <laughs> your, your daily, you know, you need to concentrate. Absolutely. Like I say, you, you, that's why we go back to the original... Part of the conversation you, you never close your mind you okay. never walk through life okay. with your eyes shut you, you're a receiver and you 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 see things through different mediums like i say i might watch a movie on the plane coming to dubai or going back to miami i'm like wow that's a cool element yeah i mean uh, you know I'm, I'm, I'm kind of you know blessed to have a, a mind that does receive stuff <laughs> i'm terrible with names you know that's okay. that's it <laughs> I know the face, but I don't know the name. Um, smart, cool, yeah, 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 yeah right. Then you've got to be smart in the way you approach <laughs> it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you take on board. You 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 look at something. You you take it into your mind. You're like, well, how can I add that? But how can I use that? How can I make it you know, more static and and so instead of ephemeral, where you see it in a glancing moment in a film, would it be sustainable in the interior? It's like when I used to go to the exhibitions in East Salone, you know, in uh -huh. Milan, Milan, and you would see the stands, the exhibition stands, and you'd be like, wow, that material is fantastic. How can I put it into a built environment that is a little bit more, uh -huh. you know, there's longevity to it instead of this thing that lasts for a week uh -huh. and then it gets dismantled uh -huh. and you never see it again. Maybe the material wasn't sustainable enough uh -huh. or it doesn't have the longevity. 
So it's all about, you know, how we can adapt these things. And you keep all in your memory. You don't yeah, take notes yeah, yeah. I mean, that's... <laughs> this, this idea, they come afterwards a long time or they you try to... Was it I think I have to go back to my days at Kingston on my bachelor's. And, um, you know, I had a great mentor there, Fred Scott. And uh, again, genius, uh, eccentric um, person. And he would say the most profound things. To me. You know, he would say sometimes when he was doing my crit that my work was like a roller coaster or a piece of jazz. Oh, wow. what, what, what's he referring to? It's the greatest, I, I, I don't get it, but he was paying me a, an enormous compliment that it would take you here, there, and create these amazing experiences. Like this piece of jazz where there's sort of never one independent or individual component. Everything's working in tune uh -huh. and tone. But everything has its own voice, uh -huh. or its independent voice, but when it sings a common yeah. song. Uh, or common tune, and I think you know having that. And you didn't change your approach. No, he's trying to work out. You know what? It's like it will, it will make sense one day. And certain things that he told me, still, still making sense now. And you're like, wow, that's what he meant. Yeah, it's taken me <laughs> what twenty years to sort that one out. Um, but you know, like I say, you never go through life not not learning. You continually growing and learning, expanding. That's very interesting. You said that some um, very designer you could have this approach to life, hmm. you know. Is it possible to decode a methodology of creativity or not? So for example, let's say Paul yeah. is one, two, three steps in or it, or is not, because they will kill Yeah, the, I don't think we want to be that, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think we want to be that piece of jazz. Okay. Like I say, this this composed piece of music mm -hmm. that allows each voice to be heard or mm -hmm. each component of that design to be seen. Mm -hmm but sings a common song or, you know, it creates this sort of uh, autonomous, yeah. homogenous yeah. environment yeah. That, that we're designing for. Yeah. And, I, and I, I just love that, that we can bring these sort of unique solutions. Uh -huh. uh, and nothing's ever predetermined or pre-described, you know. I, I look at a space and then I approach it from the space and the client. Uh, once you've sat, taken the brief, understand what we want to achieve in here, then we create the space that defines that moment. And I think that's the beauty of design and how we approach it. We wouldn't come with saying a priest described design where, okay, I've listened to you brief, this is what we're going to do. No, we don't know what we're going to do. We're going to approach it. We're going to listen. Uh, we're going to see the space. And I think going to the space and feeling the space is, is hugely important. You know, even when we're looking at spaces and pictures and videos, you're like, well, you don't get that sense of space unless you're physically. Uh, and I think that that helps. That's why we're always present, you know, on site. And, uh, you know, I think that's that's the most important thing is we don't go in saying, well, I'm going to design it like that because we don't know until we've had that initial interaction. And then things start to, you know, announce themselves to you or start to propose themselves to take on board. So well, actually that, that starts to work. And I think you generate everything for the layout. Like I said, I, I, I think 3D when I'm working in 2D. And I think that's that's a great advantage for me because I can start visualizing the volumes, the, the tectonics of the space, the, the tactile quality of materials. And it is all about lighting, how we then light those environments. And, uh, you know, I think because of my education, my background, we used to build maquettes, models. Oh, we didn't have wow. the luxury of computers. Sort of right? yeah. So <laughs> we had to physically be hands-on. You still do so, it. Still yeah, yeah, it. we still yeah. do. I encourage, I, you know, we encourage um, hand-to-eye coordination in, in the studio. So everything 
all my designers, all the team can physically draw. And they, it's how we design. We don't design off a computer. Oh, fantastic. Uh, the beautiful. computer is only a tool where we visualize and we do Store CAD or Rivet. Uh, when it goes into production of a drawing package, the actual concept, the creative element is always done through hand. But that's fantastic. And manual sketching. I just took notes. I wanted to ask you about the recruiting. How do you mm. recruit a creative? Uh... Difficult. I mean, we're always looking on the lookout for creative people, and how do you, so you look about. You said you know the hands. Yeah, I mean what, that's that's one do. of my my main sketch, focal points. Know. Is you know they would have to work manually, or they would okay. have that ability to work manually. Because yeah. I think designing or creating a layout on a computer just is devoid of soul. Uh, devoid of, of any understanding of, of, like, say, flow, movement, ops. You have to feel it to understand it. And I feel it physically through the hands-on experience. And I think, you know, what we do look at for, for creative people, uh, you know, not necessarily, they, they don't have to come from interior backgrounds. I've seen some of the best designers and people in the industry, like, like Stark, for example, um. these type of characters, that they didn't start as interior designers. They started as furniture design, yeah. forever, in, in Stark's case. Um, if you're a creative, you're a creative. And I, I think, you know, I'm an alumni at Kingston University where we actually sponsor underprivileged students okay. for the whole yeah. duration of their, their bachelor's the degree. So give it a chance. We give back. We give back because they might not ever be discovered or they might not yeah. ever get the chance to design. Yeah. And that could be a great talent that, yeah. that's lost yeah. or wasted yeah. or overseen. And... There was, you know, I was, I was on a, a critique with the students on their, their master's degree, um, architecture. And they were like, well, what do you look at? What do you look for? Exactly what, what you propose. And um, I'm saying, well, you, you don't have to have that physical ability to have a great presentation technique. Because at university, it's all about presenting your presenting work and your presenting work and your project. And a lot of people mistake that for like computer for rendering. <laughs> yes, that's part of the process. Um, and it's what we, we sell the work to the client on the visual. But there's this innate you know, ability to understand and draw and, and be creative. And I said, well, forget about that. Because when you come out of university, everyone's on a level playing field. You know, some people might be better at sketching than others. Some people might be better at, uh, you know, uh, 3D. CGI than, than others. It's all about your knowledge and your creative flair yeah. that we look for. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I think you can find that creativity from any discipline that's uh -huh. involved within the general arts of, uh, genre. Interesting. Um, how long does a project last? <laughs> Six months? Yeah. Uh, we actually have a great ability to turn around projects very quickly. Yeah. I think we've, we've learned that in Dubai and being brought up in the Middle East to, to, have, uh, to, to basically have no time at all. Um, you see it in Miami, you're sitting there and you're like, how long have we got? <laughs> yeah. Really? You need that long? And you start ah, questioning. Coffee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, that's interesting. Um, things in my mind take a lot longer okay. overseas. Um, okay. I think here the demand is and the expectation is, is a lot higher. Sometimes fairly, unfairly, um, but it's the only thing I but really you know. Yeah, like I say, I've been here since '96. I've only known this the way. deadlines and, and and the demands that are put on us. So yeah. we we would normally take uh, six weeks six from start weeks. to finish, well, five. four I to thought, six I thought, weeks. I thought it would be long to design a hotel, a restaurant. Wow. Wow. Um, you know, usually for for a restaurant, we would have one to two weeks for concept uh, with layouts. You know, phase one. Um, 
maybe two, three weeks to create the CGI renderings. And we always over deliver because I feel that, you know, if we can't see every element of that interior, then how can we suggest our design, uh, you know, ideology to clients? And then join package another two, three to, weeks. To, so. to, to deliver. So how do you maintain, so six weeks, um, I would say in any profession, it's a short amount of time, I don't know. Uh, this means that you need to keep the, the pressure. Absolutely. We, we speak about performance. Yeah. There's never a dull moment. <laughs> are you, are you have free time? Uh, good question. Have, I travel a lot as well, right? So I spend most of my free time's on a plane. And then I don't get too much free time there. But um, no, I, I think, you know, it's a, it's a hats off to the team. They're an incredible bunch of people. Uh, and they're all like-minded thinkers, so they understand the pressure. The pressure uh, they understand so they're able to what's perform. expected. And their performance is, is exceptional, second to none. Uh -huh. um, we all accept that work hard, we play hard. And, you know, I think that's what, what you have to understand in the industry. It is very demanding. Uh -huh. And uh, it's not just one project. We're, we're juggling multiple, multiple projects. Um, but each project has a dedicated time to it. Uh -huh. You know, we would never compromise on any single project or client. Everyone has the same attention, uh -huh. the level of detail, uh -huh. and the same, you know, delivery. And uh, we pride ourselves on that quality and standard of work. We've been commented on on the level of, of work that we deliver, uh -huh. and that's a great testimony to the, to the team because that's the production element. Um, even in the U.S., where we're producing high-end CGI's and drawing packages, you know, in in ridiculous times, according to them, <laughs> uh, and they're blown away with the level of what you know the CGI is I'm presenting, photorealistic, and they're like, "Wow, we don't get this." I'm like, well, we don't know anything different, different than this. Is. To deliver so you know we're never gonna change that or compromise on that we always strive to deliver the yeah. best and uh if it's not a hundred percent then it doesn't go out and uh you know so it's got to be a hundred percent i'm a perfectionist at the end of the day and <laughs> i kind of imprint that I, I, <laughs> onto I, I, the team actually the intuition they would be a perfectionist because um you you have you have a deep understanding of the methodology of, of design now um, so that you are able to change it as well because the times are changing absolutely yeah. so you need yeah, to you got to be constantly current like i said you you, you need you, you, you got to be the person that needs to redesign yeah. the process also design of yeah. creativity i mean like i say with with things that have happened over the you know over time over the last two years you have looked at how you can adapt and how you can change and uh -huh. how you can be more efficient as, as a team uh, and I think that's that's one thing we learn. Um, but I think we've always been efficient as yeah, a team. So it's, you know, it's how do we better ourselves? You know, how do we remain current? How do we um, develop and, and progress as, as, as a unit, uh -huh. as, a, as a team, as a creative force? Uh -huh. And I think, you know, it's been a, a great journey and the journey continues. And I think, that's you it. know, it's, it's that roller coaster, as Fred told me. I was, and I like I say, I can see the same thing happening in the studio with, with the team that we got. Like I said, there's some great individuals, some great talent coming up through the ranks, and that's what we pride ourselves. As you said, it, it's difficult to find the right fit and the right kind of person. Because creativity is different to yeah, judge. Exactly. Yeah, you've got to see it, you've got to feel it, and uh -huh. you've got to nurture it. And I think, you know, you, you would see that spark, and it's all about that connection. It's the same with our clients. You have that initial connection with them. Um, you know, not every client is a perfect fit. Not every designer is a perfect fit for that client. So, you know, that, that connection at the very beginning is something that makes or breaks the project. Yeah. 
That's it. Uh, well, unfortunately, we arrive at the, the, the end of this discussion. We stay hours and hours, you know, <laughs> to discuss all your aspects of life. Some of them, you know, yeah, because very surprising, so. you know. Yeah. <laughs> if you can restate the show about design, please do it, because I think that's something that is missing. Is this. I'm thinking about in the UK, there is Monocle, no? there is the magazine, this amazing architecture yeah. show that I'm listening to. Um, so thanks a lot for that. We, we discussed, you know, um, the idea was really to understand how to manage a creativity effort um, that's very complex because it entails architecture, yeah. uh, materials, it's multidisciplinary, yeah. Um, and, Plus the clients that push, you know, how to do it. <laughs> plus all the changes that are happening as well. So but without any of those components, we wouldn't we be would here, be right? <laughs> so thanks a lot for that. It's, it's, been a, it's been a fantastic discussion. I just wanted to ask you a last sure. question. If you can share, we mentioned Tono Subito, the opportunity, of course, yep. of Miami. Um, if there is any project that you would like to mention in particular, there's something that is, you know, for you. Oh, there's, there's, there's many. so many. I, I don't know how many NDAs I have on the table at the moment. But well, something um, that is just... Uh, there's, a, there's an amazing project. The clients are over uh, from Las Vegas with okay. us right now. It's something that we're doing in Vegas, uh, in the Luxor. And um, it's something very unique. Uh, F&B. Never seen before. F&B, entertainment driven, wow. entertainment. <laughs> Uh, it's this sort Unveiled. of new approach, new dynamic Unveiled. that we're playing with. Very nostalgic, um, but nostalgic in a very grown-up sense, I should say. Uh, <laughs> but very fun and passionate that's sense. But um, that's something that's that's keeping us on our toes. And yeah, I mean, there's there's some really amazing projects out there. But this one's looking at opening up uh, this year, so uh, hopefully we can announce it to the world. And it's it's important to us because it's probably our first built work in in the US. So it's uh, it's a good one to be involved with, that's and uh, you know. Uh, Great pleasure. I don't know what you're saying in the design world. Good luck. I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> say, say in Italian to me. One for two. I don't want to say something. You know, because touch words, touch words. Someone has his own, uh, you know, I don't want to say something that can. Uh, anyway, Paul, thanks again. Pleasure. Uh, and I wish you a wonderful uh, rest of the day. And thanks again for being with us. Back to the drawing boards, yeah? Back to, thanks, yeah. back to the creative <laughs> process. But no, it was a great, great opportunity to, yeah, to discuss the journey and journey ahead so um that's it many more to come uh so for any potential client of course be sure design is present website um, yeah uh, social media but then who doesn't know you (laughs) in the industry so it's easy um to of course to to find the the studio Um, for all the audience i invite you to subscribe to the major podcast platform and uh, I uh, invite you uh, to the next uh, episode of the, of the podcast. It happens soon. Paul, again, thanks again. Pleasure, Marco. Have a Great. nice day. Uh, really good. Cheers, man.